Let me ask us this question. As you begin the new year, what important things do you want to make sure are included on your list of essential items to do in 2020? What is on your list? Let's take a moment. Let's think about what that might be. And as you think of those items, what words do you hear yourself using to describe them? In other words, would they be something you want or something you need? If you want them, according to the dictionaries, I looked that up, synonyms for that would be, I fancy that, I wish for, I feel, I desire, I like that, I hope for. But the words that describe something we need are different. Words like required, essential, mandatory, imperative, indispensable, vital. You see, what what needs make your list? Those will be the things that get done. In our passage this morning that we'll look at in 1 Corinthians 12... Our passage talks about an item that the Apostle Paul is bringing forth to the Corinthian church. This is a need. And I want to bring forth by preaching this text for us here at Center Church, this is a need. This is a need for us to grow in, to understand more of, to experience together. What is that need? Christian fellowship. Not because it doesn't exist. Oh, it does. And in the message, I'll get into more of that. But for us to grow in that? And those that God brings to us, for them to participate in that? And experience the grace of God through Christian fellowship. The main idea of this message would be this. You need the church. And the church needs you. So as we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians, there's 15 verses beginning in verse 12. We'll go through verse 26. I've got three points through that text, and I want us to walk through that text together. I'll take a portion of that scripture with each one of the points that I relay, beginning with verses 12 and 13. And my first point is this. One gospel... Many called. Now let's look at God's word. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ, or so it is with the body of Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. One gospel, many called. Please pray with me. Father, as we open your scripture, it's my privilege and honor to be able to preach your word. Father, I ask your help, aware of my own weakness, and also aware of the power and might and clarity of your word. And I pray, Father, that you'd bless me to be able to preach your word clearly and effectively so that we would grow in our love for you through the study of your word. Grow in our understanding of fellowship 
and our experience together. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. One gospel, many called. Paul's addressing the Corinthians and helping them to see how to look at their relationships differently. Now that they're part of the body of Christ, the church, he does this by bringing to them an analogy that they can all see and understand, and that's the human body. And we'll see that as we continue through the text. They can all relate to how he uses the body and the members of the body as an example, as we all can. Yes, there are many members of their bodies, their hands, their feet, their arms, their legs, their eyes, their ears, just like us. And they're all connected to the one body. Paul then then takes this very obvious example and says, so it is with Christ. Or the way it can be translated is, so it is with the body of Christ. You know how that works in your body? So it is with the church. It's the same truth. Now this to them was revolutionary news as it would relate to their relationships together. Because in the first century, relationships and the scope of your relationship was defined by your family, your household, your name, which usually was connected to your social status or your race. Or if you were a slave or free, those were the foundations. That, that was the definition of your relationships. But Paul is saying the church is different. You see, your name, your status, your race was the foundation of your identity. And the identity that you lived with was the foundation of your relationships. But Paul's helping him to see all the Corinthian believers that society no longer is a starting place or the determination of your relationships and therefore your fellowship. They were now members of a different body. So Paul is developing this argument to help them to see that there's a way that their life in Christ, together in the church, is to be foundational and inform their fellowship more than anything else that has previously informed their structure, their relationship for generations. Look at verse 13 again. He said, We were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. In other words, we're all brought into the body of Christ in the same way. We're all saved or made to drink of one spirit. That's what that's communicating. In the same way. Regardless of background, race, rich or poor, slave or free, as believers... They have all been called by God and saved by His grace. They've been brought into the church in the same way, by the grace of God. So relationally, they're equals in Christ. And yes, this was revolutionary news for the Corinthians. Paul wanted them to see these truths and allow the gospel to inform their relationship structure and the fellowship in the church. They were to be more aware of how God now defines their new identity. 
not what they had been used to for generations. They were called to live for Christ. Christ will always be the fundamental identity of every believer. Christ changed them through salvation. And they are to find their identity now, first and foremost, in Christ alone. Just think. First century, all these different nations, tribes, peoples, groups, together in the church. Slave and free, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, different languages, all together, being added together. Why? Well, let's look at fractions. Not why, how. I hate to look at fractions. I hated fractions in school, but it's a good illustration if you'll stick with me. To add fractions together that have a different denominator, you can do that if you have and develop a common denominator, can't you? You can add any number of fractions that are as different as they can be together when there's a common denominator. And that's what Christ is. Everyone that's coming to the church has a common denominator, and that's our identity in Jesus Christ. You're all the same in Christ. We're here in the church. And our fellowship can reflect that. As they saw their new identity as the people of one spirit, baptized into one body in Christ, the center of their devotion, the center of their church life is Jesus Christ himself. He's the head of the church. They existed for him. They were called to his family to serve him. They have a new name, a new household, no longer seeing race or status as their most foundational identity. Their common denominator was the identity in Christ, as it is ours. And we can see how this is reflected in Scripture, this change. If we look at Acts chapter 18, verse 8, there's a man by the name of Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth. Now let's see what Acts records of him. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Different identity now. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. Someone by the name of Stephanus. What's recorded about him? Now I urge you, brothers... You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Changed. New identity. A part of the church. These households highlighted in Scripture changed their fundamental identity. Christmas was still the ruler of the synagogue but had a different identity that informed his life. He was a believer in the Lord. Stephanus, a convert. See, this new identity is true for every believer. And the place for living out this new identity is the church. And fellowship is that means of grace. Fellowship is then the experience that we have together. But you know, the issue of identity isn't a first century concern alone. Like the Corinthians, we can have 
our own other identities that can have a greater impact on our relationships together than the gospel, if we're not careful. We have a society that presses into us. We have pressures that press into us. We come from different backgrounds. So there's different issues, just a new decade. You see, we can find identity in whether we're a Republican or a Democrat, whether we watch Fox News or CNN, whether we're a baby boomer or a millennial, whether we're blue-collar or white-collar, whether we're homeschooling or public schooling, married or single, more affluent, less affluent, cowboy fan or a cardinal fan. Just do that in, make sure you're listening. Where is our identity grounded? As believers, we have Christ in common. Sure, we can gravitate relationally to people that are more like us, but our fellowship with the body of Christ should be a goal. It should be a need. Having Christ in in common is what fuels our relationship and fellowship together. The gospel should break down any and every dividing wall between Christians so that fellowship grows. And here at Center Church, may that be our experience for 2020. Now let's look at my second point. One body, many members. This is the the largest chunk of this scripture, beginning in verse 14 and going through verse 24. And you see Paul continues to elaborate this Example of the body. Let's look at it together. Follow me as I read, beginning in verse 14 through 24. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, There are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. One body, many members. Paul continues his argument about how we are called to live together in fellowship by helping the Corinthians and helping us to see that the focus should not be on the one member, but on the many. He begins by addressing the dangers that he sees to fellowship. One of the dangers Paul is saying is that in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, what, what's, the, what's the result of that? I do not belong. You see, we can all experience that to some degree. When we see and experience people that aren't like us, when we feel like we don't fit in, we can draw that conclusion. Well, I, 
don't know that I belong. When we compare, it can put us in a position to where we can feel, I don't know that I fit in. When we become jealous of others, maybe they're gifting, maybe which way they're serving, that can begin to make us feel like we don't belong. And Paul is wanting to help them to see, watch for this. He helps them to see that comparison with one another, the eye, the foot, the head, the hand, and jealousy of one another are easily experienced. But the conclusions of not being an essential part of the body or a less important part of the body or even an expendable part of the body is a result. Fellowship, then, is not the ongoing experience and the means of grace in our lives that it's intended to be. Isolation and loneliness can often be the result. We must place those feelings of not belonging alongside the objective fact of how God builds the church. Each believer is called to be a part of the body of Christ. Each believer is functioning, essential, necessary as part of the body of Christ, the church. That's what we see in Scripture. How easy it is for us to focus on ourselves rather than the body of Christ and conclude that we don't belong. It's a danger Paul is warning us against. Let me read for you. Um, It's an excerpt out of What is a Healthy Church, written by Mark Dever. He calls it a parable, and you'll see why. And I think it can help us cement the point that Paul is making. It goes like this. Nose, one of the leaders, and Hand, one of the members, were sitting in the pew talking. The morning service led by Ear, the music leader, and Mouth, the pastor, had just ended, and Hand was telling Nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. Really? Nose exclaimed, the hands news. Why? Oh, I don't know, Hand said, looking down. He was slower to speak than other members of the church body. I guess the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for, Nose asked. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us, Hand finally stammered. We tried spending time with the legs, but didn't connect with them. Next, we joined a small group for all the toes, but they kept talking about socks and shoes and odors. And that didn't interest us. Nose looked at him this time with genuine dismay. Aren't you glad that they're concerned with odors? Sure, sure, but this is not for us. Then we attended the Sunday school for all the facial features. Do you remember? We came for several Sundays a couple of months ago. Yes, it was great to have you. Thank you, but everyone just wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. It felt like, well, it felt like you never wanted to get your hands dirty. Anyway, Mrs. Hand and I were thinking about checking out the new church across on east side. We hear that they do a lot of clapping and hand raising, which is closer to what we need right now. In addition to all of that, their daughter Pinky was not comfortable with the youth group. Everyone was so different from her, she felt out of joint. Hmm, Nose replied. I see what you mean. We'd hate to see you go, but I guess you have to do what is good for you. That's cute and how it does that. You know, there's several valid reasons to leave a church. We, we 
always want to recognize that. We want people to always feel free to follow God's leading. We trust God's placement of people in churches. What Paul's saying here is that when we begin to feel that we don't belong in a church, it can be the result of not seeing the ways in which God is calling us to contribute to the body and fellowship together. We're all different in personality and in gifting by God's design, but we're also all necessary in God's view to build his church. To see... We are one of very many different parts of the body of Christ who are called to press into fellowship together, not drifting apart from one another. How do we do that? Paul wants us to start by saying that we are all various parts of the body of Christ that he has called into fellowship together. Many different people. If we ever feel like we don't belong because we are so different from others in the church, to remember that God has called us and is using us together to build his church. Look at verse 18. It says, But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. He chose you. Your gifting to help build this church. God has chosen the various members among us to be part of the church and to be in fellowship together. The various gifts are the ones we need to build the church. We're all very different, all gifted differently, but called together. And as we read this, we can see that there's no inferior gifts. There are some that are more public or more obvious, but that doesn't mean that they're more important to God or less necessary to the purpose of building the church. We can all notice and benefit from gifts that we see each week. We've just been led by a worship team, very gifted musically. Listen to a vocalist, Kara, very gifted. Zach Boonsma, as he leads the worship team, gifted sound engineers. John and Matt, as they do all the sound for us. Steve Tong, you feel his administrative gift. John Lambros, Typically, his joy and welcome gift as you come. We see those gifts. But there are many gifts. We just don't see because they're not as prominent, but they are as important to building the church here as any of the public obvious gifts. For example, the children's ministry worker gifted with kids, serving in the nursery, allowing a tired mother to worship and hear the message. The senior saint, gifted in prayer, in the prayer room on Sunday morning, interceding for the church. The member, gifted administratively, who puts up our visuals on Sunday. The usher, gifted in serving, who prepared our communion this morning. The greeter, gifted in outreach, that's here early, welcoming guests. Small group leader's life, Wife, gifted in hospitality that's preparing her home. A care group member, gifted in caring that's taking a meal to someone out of the hospital. All necessary. All part of building the church. Just not all is obvious. One of the commentators says this, Paul is not saying, look how varied your gifts are. No. 
He is asserting, since none on his or her own receives this extensive range of necessary gifts, you need others and others need you. All have their place in a single body which shares the same status in Christ. Remember, God has arranged us in fellowship and service together for the body of Christ. He chose us. He placed us. We need the church. And the church needs us. What is the church? The people. The believers. We need each other. As we do and express that, we grow in fellowship together. Let's look at the final point this morning. Covering verses 24 through 26, that will complete the text. The point is one church, many caring. One church, many caring. Let's read it together. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God has so composed the body. Verse 24, God uses our fellowship as a means of grace to one another. The purpose? Well, that there would be no division in the body. Division wars against fellowship. When you're in fellowship together with other believers, life is lived with others. Not only is there unity, but also when you're affected by the difficulties in life, others are aware. When you stub your toe, it's not only your toe that hurts. That pain goes throughout. The whole body feels it, responds. So it can be with the body of Christ. Fellowship is seen in walking through suffering together. It's also seen in rejoicing and honoring together as well. It's walking through life with other believers. Verse 25. But that members would have the same care for one another. Is that your genuine experience? When you look at life where the rubber meets the road, what is your experience of fellowship? You may be thinking, well, no one has brought me a meal when I was sick. No one calls me to ask me to come over. No one invites me to coffee to talk about my life. No one was calling me to pray with me when I was out of work. No one even asked me how I was doing this week when I went to church. No one missed me last week when I was homesick and lonely. Those are very real questions and very real feelings and experiences that we can all identify with at one time or another. I do believe we can see in our text today it giving us direction when we have those feelings and questions, when they become our experience. You see, when our experience is like what I just listed, we can, have the, we can feel like fellowship is lacking in our lives and that Christian fellowship is not our experience. But I believe there's another way to respond to that. Ed Welch has this comment. He says, some people need help, other people, or excuse me, some people need help, some people give it. We witness this every day. 
There are the needy and the needed. The truth is, however, that these two groups are, in fact, one. A healthy community is dependent on all of us being both. We are both the needy and the needed. It just depends on what's happening in your life. With that perspective, let's look at the other side of the fellowship coin to see what this means in verse 25, that the, bringing the same care one for another. You see, if we look at that and begin with ourselves, we can change those questions to these. Who can I bring a meal to that is sick? Who can I call and ask to come over? Who can I invite to coffee and talk about their life? Who can I call and pray with who may be out of work? Who can I look for this morning after church to ask how their week was? Who did I miss this morning at church that I can call and check up on? Having the same care one for another begins with us. Not the other member. Remember, we're all part of the body together. When we take a step forward, someone else in extending fellowship and using our various gifts, we're guarding the church from division and extending care to one another. Resisting jealousy and comparison, which Paul warns against, which war against building fellowship together in Christ. You see, when we step out in this way, Do we see the one we're serving? When we fellowship and serve one another, members of the body of Christ, we're serving our Lord. We're serving Christ himself. In Acts 9 on the Damascus Road, where the light shone, and Saul, later to be Paul, Saul was confronted with Jesus And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? No, that's not what it says. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Christ is the head of the church. When you serve that brother or that sister, you're serving Christ. Think about that. What a privilege, what an opportunity. And how it helps us not to think first, What am I receiving? But what can I give? Where can my gift be deployed? Who's in need? How can I help? Because when we look at ourselves and what I'm not getting, then it's not long before we don't feel like we belong. We don't feel like we fit in. It affects us. It affects our unity. It can cause division. It can cause jealousy, comparison. That doesn't happen in your body. Your hands work irrespective of your feet doing their job. Your hands do their job. Your eyes do their job. Your ears do their job. And it all works together because it's led by your brain. We're led by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. We're doing it for you, Lord. (laughs) And fellowship is the grace He's given to us to enjoy together. The church is the body of Christ. When we care for one another, we're serving Christ with our unique gifts in our different ways. When we serve the body of Christ, the church, we serve Christ.
Christ. We're all baptized into one body. God has called every believer to himself. He has unconditionally accepted us, each one of us. Because of the gospel, we're called together. There are individual responses to that same gospel message. We've become part of the body of Christ together. Through the gospel, God has made us part of his family. Let us live our lives showing that we're part of his family, relating to one another as family members. Through relating and serving together as members of his family, the body of Christ, the church. See, Jesus served us. Philippians 2, 3. Jesus put the interests of others above his own. Jesus came to us. Jesus didn't wait for us to call him. Jesus sacrificed for us. Jesus came. And we are so different from Jesus. And he came. We're all different from one another. But let's go. Let's serve. Let's fellowship. Let's build. Because our common identity is Christ. Our common denominator is our Lord. Will it be challenge? Yep. Relationship always has challenge. But will there be grace to endure? Yes. Because God has called us together. We see in verse 18, God arranged the members in the body. God has done that. We're responding to his grace. So where we suffer with one another and rejoice with one another, build our relationships, use our gifts, we will experience the truth that we need the church. The church needs us. The church needs you, your gifting, your service. Two points of application as I close. How can we look to move and make fellowship more of a need than a want in our lives? And you may be someone here who is very comfortable with fellowship being what happens in the foyer before and after service. Well, thank you for engaging in fellowship in the foyer. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. I want you to do that. But there's more. There's more. There's more in your individual service. There's more in your individual gifts that the church needs. So there's two practical avenues I'd like to submit to you as far as ways in which to make fellowship from a want to a need in your life and for us here at Center Church to grow in our experience of Christian fellowship. Number one is small group participation. If you're not part of a small group, please talk to someone that is part of a small group. What's your experience been? What, what, what have they enjoyed in the spirit, experience of fellowship? Small group participation is a great way to express care for one another, to carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. It allows there to be more time and distance than you can engage with before and after service. You begin to live life together. You begin to talk and share needs, concerns, prayer areas. There's awareness of your life. And it's such a blessing to serve together when there's a need, to be served when you're needy. The second area is serving in a ministry area. 
You might not think that that's a way to build fellowship. But let me share a testimony from one of our young ladies in the church. And I think you might see differently. Over the last nine months, this is their testimony. Over the last nine months, I've been serving consistently in children's ministry. And I recently came to realize an awesome and unexpected blessing and benefit from serving in this area. Fellowship and friendship. And specifically from unlikely places. For example, I'm a 37-year-old mother of four, and many Sundays I serve alongside a 23-year-old single guy. Not exactly someone I would ever have a context or opportunity to get to know, but over the last five months we've gotten to talk and laugh, ask questions, share stories, discuss things, and get to know one another in a way that blessed and encouraged me. I've filled in a couple of times with another young single gal in her 20s in another class. It was great fun, and I also now feel more connected to the young adults in our church. Last week, I served alongside a veteran mom who stepped in last minute to serve, and I got to hear her testimony of how God powerfully saved her. It left me deeply blessed and encouraged. Finally, last summer, I was looking for a way to connect with one of the single moms in our church, but struggled to figure out how to make it work with busy schedules. Enter serving together. We spent the summer serving in the same children's ministry class, and it gave us a built-in opportunity to talk, get to know one another, to encourage each other, and follow up with each other. Serve. Use your gifts. Reach out. Build relationship. And if you'd like to find out more information about both our small groups and service areas, in the foyer we have tables that someone will be there to answer questions, but it's information on our small groups. How to become a part of one if you're not. How to ask questions about where they are in the city. How, how to engage. And also to serve. We've just got a number of service areas. If you see one you like, your experience can be similar in building with other believers here at Center Church. Again, our goal is to see and live our lives together this year Seeing fellowship together as more of a need, more of an experience, aware of the truth that you need the church and the church needs you. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your grace and the grace of fellowship. Thank you for saving our souls. Thank you for allowing us to see through Scripture the truth of how to guard our church, how to build together, how to honor your gifts, and how to care for one another through fellowship. Lord, be with us, help us, and bless us. Father, we ask this in your holy name. Amen.